Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Another great guest this week, folks, Cal Rabinowitz. How does somebody, how and why does somebody go from uh, the upper echelons of network television to running a meditation studio. Tal runs Den Meditation in L.A. and uh, in the L.A. area, part of this explosion in, in these secular uh, meditation kind of drop-in centers all over the country and many of the big cities around the country. She's got a really interesting story and an interesting view of uh, the role of meditation in a busy life. Uh, so we'll get to that in a second. First, though, a few items of business, then your voicemails, and then we'll get to the interview. Uh, little business items, a couple a couple of notes from the 10% world. Uh, we are hiring. We're looking for a meditation producer and also a senior producer. The meditation producer it produces meditations, as one might imagine, both our video courses and our audio meditation. Also, a senior producer is much more sort of a TV role. Uh, video production role, um, really working on on the video for the various courses we do and also uh, for some stuff we're going to be doing outside of the courses, you can go to jobs.10percenthappier.com to check that out. Speaking of checking out things related to the app, we've got a new teacher up there. Her name is Jess Morey. She's been on this podcast. You should go back and listen to her story. She works with teenagers and has a long personal practice herself. A very interesting story. I recommend going back to that podcast. I just saw Jess today, actually, at an event. Uh, and she's got some parenting uh, meditations uh, that are going up on the apps. One uh, on the app, one's called Parenting in Hard Moments, and another is Meditation for Teens. So check Jess out on the app. She's a star. All right, your voicemails. Number one, here we go. Hi, Dan. So my message is, how do you keep from getting more stress trying to schedule time to meditate because I look at my have-to list or my got-to-do list and get stressed. And meditation is on that list because I feel it's something I need to do. That's my question. Have you ever struggled with trying to get it all in? I watched your video, How You Get In Two Hours a Day, and that would make me stressed, trying to add them all up. Okay, thank you. Bye. Great question. I feel your pain. It's it's not unreasonable. Just as a biographical uh, note, I, I actually cut down my amount of meditation. For three years, I was doing two hours a day because I was really, and, and continue to be really interested in exploring the deep end of the pool, as as they say. But I've, I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before. A, a few months ago, I had what's called a 360 review done. That's where we, it's it's done a lot in corporations, and we did it more as a. I, I did it initially because I wanted to uh, have it be the sort of kickoff thing gambit in my upcoming book, which if I ever finish it on kindness. So we did a three sixty review where it's, where you basically talk to people who know me from different angles in my life, people I work for, people who are my peers, people who work for me, people in my personal life, and really got a sense of what my strengths and weaknesses were. And I've joked that uh, the real title for the 360, in my case, should be You Suck from Every Angle, because um, it was pretty harsh, a 41-page report that came back, and uh, it was quite eye-opening and uh, making some significant changes in my life as a consequence. And one of the one of the um, things I got dinged for, I think all of it, all of the things I got dinged for were legit, and this one was particularly true, which is that I, I am stressed and pulled in too many directions, and... One of the things I think was stressing me out, oddly enough, was trying to get in two hours of meditation every day, even though I really was getting a lot out of it and I thought it was improving my practice. But it meant that at the office, my door was closed quite a bit and it was less available to especially junior colleagues who you know, might, wanna, might benefit from a, a little chat. So I cut down to an hour, which is still a lot, but I found that it's really been nice to, to have a little bit more time. It's meant, meant I'm, I'm, my eyes on, my, on the clock a little bit less. So I think different... Phases in your life, uh, maybe, you, you know, their schedule may be more or less amenable to certain amounts of meditation. Long way of saying, I completely understand what you're saying. And I think it's counter totally undermines the purpose of meditation to have that be a source of stress for you. Um, so what I would recommend is to set your sights really low. 
um, meaning shoot for one minute of meditation most days, or what I like to say, daily-ish. You know, we've been testing this philosophy with your friendly neighborhood trillion-dollar company, Apple, the 10% Happier Company. We we run an annual challenge, an annual month-long challenge for all the employees at Apple, and we designed it in such a way that said, okay, for the month of October, do – uh, one minute of meditation, 25 out of 30 days or something like that, or maybe 31 days or whatever, how many gather, yeah, 31 days in October. I should know that since my three-year-old is obsessed with Halloween. Uh, do So in other words, do meditation daily-ish for one minute, and uh, we find that the buy-in is great. So I, I, that's really validated my confidence in, in this recommendation. So it's totally fine. If, if you're getting stressed by trying to find the time to fit this in. So I think the way to to have a steam release valve here that might allow for you to actually get some practice in would be to say, just, you know, do one minute. I think one minute is eminently doable. And if you miss a day or two, if you're following this this daily-ish, uh, if, you're, if, if you're pursuing that rather flexible goal, then, then if you miss a day or two, the ego can't swoop in and tell you a whole story about how you're a failed meditator. So that, that's my recommendation. Try, try that. Try that for a month. Try it for two months. As I like to tell, uh, you've, long-time listeners may have heard me say this before, but uh, I've, uh, you know, in the four and a half years since 10% Happier came out, I've, I've had this challenge that I've issued to people all, uh, you know, in many of my public interviews, which is try meditation for a month. And if you find that you get nothing out of it, send me a note on Twitter and tell me I'm a moron. You know, people tell me I'm a moron on Twitter all the time, but never for that. And and so I, I'm I'm pretty confident if you do it and, the, and and you do it in this kind of relaxed way that it may be the kind of the best of both worlds. So don't stress. Give this a try. Call me back. Let me know if it worked. All right. Here's voicemail number two. Hi, Dan. Mark here. Question for those of us who've been uh, at this for a, a while. And for me, it's been three years of almost daily practice. How much Will it advance my practice to, one, get a teacher, and number two, uh, work with a group? Uh, I've been going solo now for three years, and I'm wondering to what benefit, uh, what requirement, and uh, what outcome I will have uh, with a teacher and, uh, or, or, and or with a group. Thank you. Well, first of all, good on you. Three years of nearly daily practice is a good Solid run. I, in my own experience, both of those things have real benefit. So I have a teacher, and his name is Joseph Goldstein, and I found that um, checking in with him, you know, once every couple of months and really talking about where things are going in my practice has been incredibly useful. He now has a sense of my mind and can give me really good advice about new areas to explore or areas where I may be incorrectly applying what I thought was his advice. So that, that in my experience, is really helpful. I think it's not mutually exclusive to try to pursue a, a group. Sometimes, in fact, it's the exact same thing. You might start sitting with a group of people, all of whom uh, see the same teacher and the teachers in the room. Uh, so, if you're, for example, if you're in Toronto, my friend Jeff Warren runs uh, a group up there called the CEC, Consciousness Explorers Club, kind of somewhat goofy name, uh, uh, which fits with Jeff, who's somewhat goofy and, and, and just an incredible superior human being. And, you know, you go sit with him. You, he's he's teaching the class. You can ask him some questions. And you also have a whole group of people. And I often describe uh, the impact of, of having a group of friends who do this as as having an HOV lane effect, that, it you know, it, you, you really uh, – being around a group of people who take this stuff seriously – can speed your progress. I, I know people sometimes get nervous when I get a, too overly Buddhisty. Maybe you guys don't, but sometimes out in the out in the real world they do. But the Buddha talked about the three jewels, the three things, the three pillars that you uh, you know that are, are an important part of any meditation practice. One is the Buddha, and he wasn't he didn't mean by that you know you need to worship me. He meant more that the the, uh, the idea that at the end of the road there is such a thing as really waking up. Uh, so the Buddha, the Dharma, which is just another way of saying your meditation practice and the attendant sort of intellectual infrastructure, and the Sangha, which is a fancy ancient term for the community. 
And so right from the jump for 2,600 years, uh, if not longer, the idea of having other people with whom you do this has been central. And so I, I think it's really uh, powerful to have a group of people that you can, uh, even if you're only just sitting quietly and you never talk with them, the idea that there are a bunch of other people in your universe who are taking this seriously and endeavoring to apply meditative principles in their lives and be uh, somewhat diligent about the practice can be really um, can be an accelerator. So yeah, I would I would uh, if if I were you and and at, at your stage in the game and your sounds like you want to up your game a little bit, I would I would uh, I would investigate both of those. Really appreciate the voicemails, everybody. Keep them coming. Um, let's get to our guest this week. As I said, Tal Rabinowitz, uh, I, don't, I don't need to give you her whole CV because she's about to in a much more engaging way than I ever could. But I, I really enjoyed this conversation, and, and I love bringing people in from all different walks of life. And, and uh, she has uh, deep experience in, in, uh, in the good and the bad of Hollywood and then uh, took all of that and, and is now bringing it to the meditation world. So here she is, Tal Rabinowitz. I just met you, but you don't seem like a, a stereotypical meditator. Me? Um, I'm not. It's probably because I'm a little type A and I have a lot of energy. Yeah. Yeah. But if you if no, you, I say that as a compliment. Oh, oh, okay. Well, then, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm a very I'm a go getter simultaneously. But I think part of the reason, like, I did what I did and opened up what I did is because I think meditation and spirituality is for every single person, no matter what you look like, who you are, what your vibe is. It's part of it. So I'm actually glad I don't fit the stereotype. Yeah. So and we were talking before we started rolling that you're half Israeli. You spend a lot of time in Israel. Yes. I, too, have spent a lot of time in Israel as a reporter. Also, as a I, I mean, I'm half Jewish, but I never went there until I started covering so the second intifada. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I love Israel. and I love Israelis. I also you know, spent a lot of time in Palestine, too. I love everybody there. And the land there is beautiful. And the cities there is amazing. My point is that I know enough Israeli people to know that there is a bit of a personality type. I don't yes. want to over, be overly uh, general. Uh, yes, but you you kind of seem to fit it I a little d- bit, uh, at least on first impression. I do fit it for yeah. sure. I mean, very much so. Any anytime anyone who knows me knows, there's definitely like a hard exterior, but it's it's very sweet inside. And yeah, I do fit it, but I love that. And frankly, the cool thing about Israel, I don't know if you got this vibe when you were there too. It is very spiritual. Like there's a huge uh, yes. part. I mean, if I went there right now and talked about meditation, like probably almost every other person I spoke to would be like, oh, my God, I was meditating today or this. I find it's actually they're a little ahead of the game in that regard, too. So how did you get into meditation? You know, I wish my story was more interesting. I always because I feel like most people hit a crisis point and then they find meditation. And mine was the opposite, but it is very me. Things in my life just kind of do happen. I've always been a very open person. Um, I was working. NBC was my last job. I was on the television side. Tell me more about that. So I was a TV exec. So I was running comedy at NBC. It was my last job. Running comedy at NBC. What does that mean? So like I always say, if you really know nothing about TV, if you're a Seinfeld watcher, remember when they used to go in and pitch their shows to like the NBC execs? Like that was me like on the other end, like telling you, yes, no, great. Let's work on it. And then developing the shows. And so I'd be here every, you know, every, you know, spring for upfronts and all that. So actually being in the conference room, I was like, ooh, this is kind of like flashbacks, like all the TVs and the, the feeling, which I love. And I really did enjoy it. We and, parked you in a conference room before the podcast. Is that yeah. Saying? Okay. Ooh, sorry. No, not at okay. all. It was great. I've been here because I traveled. So no, that's fine. Like I said, it brought back actually like good memories. Um, so for me, I was doing that and I was in a crazy job. My life was a little insane. I was about to kind of go through a divorce. And I woke up one morning and was just like, I think I need to meditate. I don't know why. And it wasn't even, it was before the Time article came out. It was before like everybody was talking about it. And something just made me say it. And typical me, I was like, all right, let me get into that. Let me research it. And that day at lunch, I was telling a friend of mine, and I was like, oh, I feel like I want to meditate. Do you know anyone? I need a teacher. I need something. I don't even know where to begin. Like I knew nothing. She's like, oh, that's so funny. Here, I know these two great girls who are actually on NBC at the time who just did it too. I'll get their name of the teacher for you. I go, perfect. They were on NBC like they shows? Were, yeah, they were two like actors. And so I went to go take out my phone to text one of my best friends who worked with me at NBC to say, hey, would you want to do this with me? I'm about to get this number. And I'm not joking. When I took out my phone, she just texted me and said, hey, I just got hooked up with this teacher to learn to meditate. Would you have any interest in learning how to do it? <laughs> I mean, it was bizarre. And so we did. It was me, my friend Renata, our head of casting, and the three of us learned TM, um, from a teacher, transcendental, transcendental meditation, med- yes. meditation. and um, it was great. And it was kind of hilarious because 
that we were doing it. We would literally do it in the conf- like in our conference room or in one of our rooms. And since I ran the department, I could carve it out in our schedule. So, so my friend and I every day at X time for twenty minutes, like they knew not to interrupt us. That's what we were doing, and anyone else who wanted to join. And to be honest, like that's how I got into it. And the reason I ended up starting doing what I do was because I was looking to keep my practice regular and I couldn't do it. Like I'm such the average human being where actually getting up and doing it and doing it at home was difficult for me. So I was trying to do it twice a day and I kept saying, where can I? Because TM, they tell you do 20 minutes TM, twice a day. at that time, I've heard now they've gone down to 10 minutes is what I heard. Really? Okay. <laughs> because well, I think they're like, yeah, people are really struggling with that 20. But um, yeah, they tell you 20 minutes twice a day in a perfect world. And so I was struggling with that second 20 minutes. So I kept saying, oh, they're no big deal. I'll go somewhere before work or I'll go somewhere after work and just hit a class and then I can do my mantra while I'm there and I'll be held accountable and then I'll have a great you know, like practice. I'll be actually doing it regularly. And it didn't exist. So And I couldn't believe that. I'm like, I can do yoga booty ballet. I can do any possible thing I want, really. There's CrossFit. There's yoga. There's, I mean, really everything you can take a class for. And there was no meditation. So you opened up Den. Yeah, the Den Meditation. The Den Meditation. Not like the not the next day, but yeah, that's when the idea started percolating for me. Um, but now TM, mm-hmm. which is the type of meditation you do. Yes, I kind of do a combination. You know what? I, as I say, you always have your mantra. So I always kind of rely on it and I mix it with other things. But yeah, I mean, I expand. It's kind of why I love having a center. I kind of open myself up to all these different, but that's me as a human. I like different things. I like to be stimulated in different ways. So I like having variety. But you can't teach TM outside of TM. So what do you teach in the studio? Yeah, we don't do TM. Though some people come in and do Vedic classes, which is essentially the same idea. They, you know, do a four day class. But yes, no, in general, we do either mindfulness based classes, some Buddhism based classes, focus based classes, anchor classes, all different styles. And they're anywhere between 30 minutes to 45-minute guided classes. So they guide you through a meditation. So instead of like an app, you're coming in and you're actually sitting down with a teacher in front of you and guiding you through a meditation. So um, I read, and this may be not true, so you'll correct oh. me, that part of what led you to the den was that you had uh, you, you were kind of um, ousted from your job? Oh, well, typical in anyone in those jobs. Yeah, that job ended. Um, I took time though. I, I knew what I, happened there. I mean, it was just, I was running a department when you're running a creative department, it's a matter of time. You either leave or like your contract ends my boss who, and also I wasn't happy. Like I was at a studio before the network. I was at Sony, which I loved. And I think inherently as an executive, I was probably more of a studio exec difference uh, being, I know yeah, I can okay. see your face yeah. difference being you're more hands on on the projects on the studio side. Like really, at least back then, I mean, the world's changed so much, but creatively I was more part of the process on the studio side. On the network side, you get it like three steps removed. So you're still creatively in it. It's just slightly more corporate, um, a little bit more about the marketing and getting it on the schedule. And the studio, like you could really, for me, get behind a project, be super passionate about a bunch of stuff and creatively stimulate your brain, which I love doing. Like one of my favorite things of that job was sitting down with the writer and just like getting into it. So, So for me, I think I was... My soul, if we want to speak in that broad sense, was a little bit less happy. I was also going through a ton of stuff. Like I said, I was having, going through a divorce. Um, and I know me, and this is where my my ex-boss and I have not spoken about it since, but where I would love to say sorry to her is when I'm not happy or not being fulfilled, especially like in my job, the thing you have to do every day, ugh, like it's the worst version of me. Like any of us, when you're not doing what you're supposed to do, it brings out the worst version of yourself. So she got... That last year or so, like the, the more you know, I get very impatient, like very impatient. What does that look like? Like you, you the Israeli side of me comes out. It's you, I'm a little bitchy. Like it's, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I get impatient. I get, I think, you know, if I feel like someone's not smart enough, it's I wear everything on my sleeve. I the good and the bad for, with me. Like you see it clearly. Like if I'm annoyed, you feel it. Um, so that's hard to work with sometimes, especially when you're higher level and you're running the whole place like you need someone a little bit easier I think in that regard even though I kicked ass in the job I think it was more and I get it so I mean I had already been laying the groundwork the last year of my contract like even having conversations with 
my boyfriend slash husband, which we talked about earlier, saying, you hey. You refer to him as your boyfriend slash, slash husband. husband. Yeah. Depends on the conversation. Um, so I had already been laying the groundwork there within the last year saying, hey, my contract's up this year. I don't feel like doing the you're supposed to go out and like do a bunch of interviews and get another job lined up because, frankly, I need a break. So if this, you know, if, even if they offer me another round, I don't know if I necessarily want to do it. Are you okay if I take time? Like if I just don't. And he was amazing about it. I have to say he was. And that's what I did. I took a break and nobody could believe it. I mean, all the phone calls I got afterwards because people were so supportive and job offers, nobody believed. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I actually – I'm giving myself three months minimum. And everyone's like, no way. Like someone came. It was great. Offered me a job. I said, I need three months minimum. They call me a week later. They're like, so? I said, I said three months. It's been a week. They're like, oh, we thought it was like a Jewish three months. We totally <laughs> thought you were going to be back. I'm like, no, I, I actually need the time. So I followed – I've always been really good about following what I need and for, not even under, always understanding it, but following it. And so I think the more distance I had – and this job was – I mean this idea of the meditation studio was always in the back of my brain and something we were talking about. And it was actually a big deal. I didn't do it right away because I did really need the time. I needed the time to kind of refuel. Um, but that was always kind of percolating. You said before that part of why you wanted to do this is that to, to – bring a meditation studio into existence was that nobody else was doing it. But there are other people doing it, right? For sure. And now every day, it's crazy. We laugh. But when I was looking, nobody was doing that type of studio. You could, for instance, when I came for Upfronts that spring, I was in New York. I'm like, oh, New York has everything. They'll have it here. Um, no. And at that time, it didn't exist either. So I was at the Dharma Center for like three hours, which, by the way, I loved and had a great afternoon. But that's when the whole thing crystallized for me. I was like, hey, most people don't have three hours every time they want to go meditate. Like you have it in a special occasion or when you have it. But in today's day, most people are running around a little bit crazier. Secondly, I remember looking around and even though I love the Dharma Center and I loved everything about it, I was like, I could not bring half of my friends to this. They'd be freaked out. What are we supposed to do? I eat meat. Are they going to smell it on me? Like what's happening? And that's when it crystallized to me too. This has to, if we can create a place that's easy, nobody feels like there's a stereotype, like, oh, I need to be super woo woo, or I have to be a vegan, or I, God, what if they know I like to drink, or I've done drugs, any of that. It's like, no, just be who you are. I say that to everyone all the time. I don't care if you eat meat or if you're a vegan. I don't care if you're super woo woo or the idea of spirituality actually makes you nervous. All of that is acceptable because it's who you are. And we're always evolving and we're always changing. And so for me, it was important to create a space that everybody felt like they could come and belong because spirituality or meditation or just inner calmness should be for everybody. It shouldn't feel like only certain people can subscribe. So you were talking about Dharma centers before. You can go to a Buddhist Mm-hmm. Dharma Center, they're all over the place. They, in Absolutely, big cities. and they existed before. Yes, they existed before. What, but now we have these secular centers, um, like in L.A., there's Unplug and you and yep. some other places. In, in New York, we have Mindful, M-N-D-F-L, which Lodro Rinsler is a friend of mine. He's been on the podcast. What's the difference between what the den does? I love Lodro and them. They're great. I would say, and I'm sure Lodro talked about this too, it's, you know, A, I think it's not almost not only the secular, because I think there were also – there were also areas of secular meditation that you could go to, but it was the same thing. There were these intense places where you were signing up for long programs or you'd be there for hours. Again, amazing. I think what these places do is they fit a different need, which is how in the busy in busy society, whether you're a parent or you have a busy job or you're just creatively entwined in something, can you fit it in and feel like not only can you learn to do it, make it regular, and for some people just be held accountable. I mean, everyone's different. Some people like can go home and do push-ups and sit-ups every day, but other people People need a trainer. You know, you can always go outside and run, but some people need to be in the gym. You know, you can do a yoga asana at home as well, but people need someone to guide them through it. So I think having a place where you're accountable and can go in and out and it doesn't necessarily take all day is hugely helpful. Not only that, I mean, and every center is different, but to have the opportunity to hear from different teachers and get different insights and really figure out what works for you is also huge. Do your customers use it every day like they would use a gym? Everyone's different. So, yes, we absolutely have people like that who are members that have their set classes that they love and they're there. And we also create a community. We have bigger events. We also do workshops. So you can come in for the two and a half hours and do those longer practices. We do retreats. We're all over. Like we're going to Italy in March. We were in Bali before and Greece in the summer. So we do retreats as well. We're about to early February embark on a five-day silent retreat in Ojai. So we really do – Make sure there's other ways to expand your practice so it doesn't feel like you're just a beginner and coming in for 30 minutes. There's tons of ways. Once a month, we do a two-hour sit. 
So there's tons of ways and an ability for people to feel like they belong and can constantly evolve with it. But everyone uses it differently. For some people, it's like they wake up, they're having a day, and they're like, I want to run in and take a class. Some people, it's just regular, and that's what keeps them going. I always wondered about that in terms of using it the way you use a gym because, you know, so my wife and I go to SoulCycle, right? Right. So, um, but I, I could barely fit that in. That's the and problem. So if I had it's to go too, to a meditation center too, as part of my daily meditation, it would be – I wouldn't have time to so do it. So the key it. word there is you said too. And I think it's all a matter of priority. And I think where meditation hasn't gotten quite yet, it's not yet on people's priority list. Now it feels like something superfluous and like, oh, it's great. And when I go, I feel amazing. But – I don't need it. I really need to sweat because I need to be healthy. And I think what where it's slowly becoming part of the vernacular is people are realizing, no, that is also part of being healthy. And it might not be a physical sweat, but it is just as important for like my mental, you know, well-being. So again, and then it becomes the priority. Like you said, well, I go to Soul Cycle, and probably the reason you squeeze it in is because that's where you actually exercise. It's harder for you to do it at home. Yeah, or my wife wouldn't be mad at me. Or she drags you. Right. Either way, she's dragging you because that's like what's important in your household. And I think my God tells me, and I hope just for everyone's, you know, well-being, that that's what's going to be happening with meditation. I think people will start to understand the importance of it as the full well-being package. No, I get that. But I guess my question is if if you believe that both are important, as I firmly do, how do you go to both locations in one day if you are busy? Right. I, I mean, I think I know that's the problem. I think that's when it becomes priority, what works for you. And I think you split it up. Like yeah. if you really are someone like that, it'd be like Monday I do my meditation. On Tuesday I go to yoga. On yeah. Wednesday I do whatever it is. I think you – at least that's how I do stuff. I kind of mix things up in general. I rarely do the same – I mean I barely exercise anymore anyway, but that's a problem. <laughs> we can discuss that later. Yeah, why is that? Why you stop exercising? I mean it's just more of the same. Like you said, busy. I run a, I run a business I – joke, I joke that like the thing I do is work my ass off to put out – the ability for other people to find space in their day. Is running a meditation center as stressful as being the person who runs comedy at NBC? Different, but yeah, it's it's on my shoulders entirely. Um, meaning, like if if it doesn't work, you know, it's still a business, is what I like to tell people. Like, I don't want anyone who walks in the door to feel that it's a business. That's not their concern. Like, they should feel that it's the space and the calmness. It's it, it is a it should be a sanctuary for everybody else. But in order to create, it's like hotels, in order to create the most calm environment where people go and can relax, behind the scenes they're working their ass off, you know? So it's the same idea. It's still a business that you're running and making sure it's, you know, running smoothly and that you can still provide it. And how is the business going? It's going well. I mean, I can't complain. We just opened our second studio oh, really? nice. in, I don't know how well you know, Los Angeles, but in the Valley. Um, and it's great. And again, I mean, the best part about it is just watching the community grow and watching people grow. And what is your vision for – do you think we're going to see secular meditation centers all over America the way we would see Pilates studios yeah, and things like that? I do. I think it's already starting. It's just – it's small, but it's already starting. I mean, L.A. is always a little bit ahead of the curve and you can already see it. They're popping up everywhere. Um, so a thousand percent. So meditation studios are popping up everywhere. Yeah. How do you compete? We just, you know what, like, and you'll appreciate this because I know you you do the work. It's like I just keep doing what I'm doing and I try not to look at it like that. I try and know that there's, you know, like the business side of me is always like, whoa. And then the other part of me goes, look, there's room enough for all of us. Everybody in this world needs some of this and just keep doing what you're doing. And if I keep doing it well and like what I where I and I think I am, if I keep doing it well and keep, you know, doing it 100 percent, it'll go the way it's supposed to go. Stay tuned. More of our conversation is on the way after this. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I got to tell you, I feel so much better when I talk about my anxiety instead of keeping it bottled up. There's an expression that I first heard from the great researcher and also Zen practitioner Robert Waldinger, never worry alone. Our temptation many times is to keep it bottled up, but the data really show that the people who do the best in life, who live the longest and are the happiest, have strong relationships with people with whom they can talk about whatever's going on in their lives. And for me, therapy is part of that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, you might give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash happier today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash happier.
You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile, third line free on essentials via monthly bill, credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Your phone is lighting up with headlines and push notifications and a text from your mom saying, how do I click this? Okay, maybe that's just me. But if you want to get up to speed, check out the new podcast from ABC News. Start here. Literally, the ground was shaking. I'm Brad Milkey, and every morning we're going to take you to the stories that matter with fast, fresh insight. Hello, Robert Mueller. Michael Cohen calling. All in 20 minutes. Start here. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. What does your personal practice look like? So my personal practice, kind of a little bit on the exercise practice, is it's finally a little bit back on track. I have a two-year-old at home as well. Oh, so okay. the business and the baby happen all at the same time. So I always say the honest truth because I'm not a great liar is, oh, my personal practice went to when this place first opened. That's what I laughed. I was like, oh, my God, the one person who's like <laughs> – it just it, – it, Anyone who's become a mom, a practice, or an exercise or anything usually kind of goes on the side anyway. Yes. So if you add both of those, it was – is a lot. Um, and it's nice. I'm getting it back, which has been great. Um, but it is all I do it when I can. So and it's harder for me to personally do it in my own center because it's my own. So I go in as a business owner. So, you know, because I'm always trying to make the space better and make it perfect for people. So I do a lot in the shower, which is a waste of water, I know. But um, <laughs> and a lot of times, like when my daughter's napping, because, you know, it's just one less thing that's in front of your face. Um, my practice, I still do a lot of TM. I use my mantra, but I do mix it with a lot of gratitude practice. Um, I kind of make up my own stuff as I go. I hate to say, like, I'm a big um, – it's like I, – I, it's hard to explain. Like, I do tend to feel like I connect to something, and depending what I need for the day, I kind of go in that direction. Connect to something. I don't what know. Do like, the that? bigger – whatever you believe in, whether it's, like, a bigger power or a god or those watching. Whatever your spiritual philosophy is, if you have one or not. So for me, I always feel like I'm connecting into, like, people taking care of me, if that makes sense. Tell me more. <laughs> it's a, like, power – whether it be, like – like I, I so like souls or like guides, like my guides, like my spirit guides. Like I do feel like I have spirit guides that look out for me. I feel like I'm very lucky that way. And my meditation, if I ask a question, the answer usually comes pretty quickly. So, and I always giggle. It's kind of like I'm. Sometimes I'm loud in meditation. Like there's been times I've meditated over something and I just start giggling because I'm like, I know. It's almost like I'm arguing with someone. Like I get it, and I am. I'm arguing with myself, but it's like. <laughs> It's like, I know, I know. I didn't have to meditate for that answer, but thanks. What do you mean when you say meditate over something, do you mean sit and quietly think about something? Yeah, like sometimes if I'm in a bad place or if I if I have a question that's really bothering me, like about something I know I need to work on on myself, I will sometimes put it out there. Like I'll just meditate and just put it out in the beginning of my meditation. Like I need help with this or I need answers with this or I'm struggling with equanimity or I'm struggling with, you know, acceptance, whatever it is, like – Anything, you know, and usually if I really get to that place where I'm asking, I don't ask all the time. It's not like every time I sit down, I'm asking for something. I don't think the world works that way. But if I'm really struggling with something internally um, and no matter how much I kind of analyze it or accept it, I feel like I know there's something else I should be personally doing to kind of work with it. I'll kind of put it out there and almost always by the end of the meditation, it's pretty clear what my next step needs to be. Um, Does that make sense? I know that sounds really Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I... I am an avowed um, anti or sort of – I know. I could tell by your face. I'm, well, I'm not I, – I don't believe in things I can't prove, right? So that's Fair enough. basically I'm an agnostic. That being said, I can just only speak from my own personal experience that there are times, especially in the creative process of writing, yep. where I'll bump up against what seems like an unsolvable problem. And if I can walk – if I can tear myself away from the, my work and sit and meditate where I'm not, you know – consciously trying to think about anything i'm trying to focus on my breath and then when i get distracted which i do a million times i start again and again and again sometimes an answer will come it's sometimes not the answer i want 
or it's not even the answer to the question I well, thought I was want, asking. It's always the answer you need. Right. right. Or it's not even the answer to the question I thought I was asking. Right. But sometimes things happen that way. Um, and there's some, from what I understand, there's some brain science that explains that that uh, the best way in creativity is to think, 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 work, 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 stress, 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 and then stop. And then the answer may come, come in the through. shower. Yes. It's funny. That happened to me the other day, too. I was kind of struggling with a creative idea myself, and I was in the shower. And I was like, just med- – and the same thing. I was like, oh, I don't have an idea for that. I can't do it. And then I was like in the shower meditating and I literally was like, oh, that's exactly the idea. So I, I agree. So, yeah, whether you believe in higher power or just yourself, which honestly in the long run I think they're all – that's exactly what it is. It's just a version of like tuning into yourself and actually being able to communicate with yourself. I would say – because people are always like, oh, why do you meditate? Is it this? And they go through all the benefits and there's a million. But for me it's always – and it always has been – you just honestly just get to know yourself better, period. Like that to me is the best thing about meditation because when you know who you are for good or for bad and you accept it and learn to love it, everything's just so much easier. Like it just helps you navigate life, I find, just much easier. Well, that was actually leads to what I was going to ask you. That the, How have you changed since you started meditating? You were, by your own description, type A, hard-charging network executive in what I would have have to imagine is a very tough environment. Yes. And how are you how are you different now? And you know what? I'm all? still the same person. I think it's where it helps me the most because I've always been the type of person who kind of, you know, marches the beat of my own drum. Like even in those atmospheres, I was the one like showing up with like flip-flops and a t-shirt and went to work and I mean I would get the lecture all the time. Like you really should dress better and stuff like that, but I was always like I got it. Like I'm creative. Like let me do my thing. I was always very secure with who I was. And I knew if I pretended to be anybody else, I would just suck at all of it. So that was always something I've always known weirdly from a young age, which has been helpful. So I think meditation for me just enhanced that. And also, I also say it allows you to take like a global look at everything. So you're you just have the ability to react, whether it be in in situations that you're in, or even just seeing other situations more clearly, like I just find that you have the ability, I say like, it gives you like a nice maturity. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. You don't – if we we all get angry at things. We all get pissed. We all get jealous. I mean these are all things none of us I think can avoid or I'm impressed if you can. I can't. Like I, we, I still have all of those basic emotions. But I have the ability I think sometimes to stop and put it in check and know sometimes, OK, like let's go back to NBC. Like when that job ended and I knew I didn't want to be there. I knew it. Like the brain part of me knew it. But the minute it was happening, I'm like, oh, here comes the ego. Like sad, upset and – and I remember telling my boyfriend slash husband that night because I was, I was I had to go through emotions. I was sad. I was crying. I was at a Billy Joel concert that night, just getting like drunk. <laughs> and he was like, are you all going to be OK? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm really good. And I knew it. Like I, w- I had the ability in that moment to say, I'm actually really good. I know I didn't want to be there. My ego needs to heal. So I just need time for this ego. And frankly, I think because I was so aware of the difference of my ego and me, it wasn't very long. Like I'm saying like within a week, I felt like I was like, oh, good, feeling great versus I think any other time would have taken me as far as that emotional component would have taken on much longer to heal. It's interesting because a lot of people worry. One of the big obstacles, I think, for some people to meditation is that they fear they're going to lose their edge. No, you're always who you are. If you have edge, your your edge is going to still come out. That's the beauty. Like it just makes you a shinier version of you. So it doesn't make us all the same blob of one another. I think that's people's fear is like, oh, we're all going to become – the goal is to become this, which means we're all striving for the same thing. So everyone assumes they're going to be exactly like the other person who's doing it. And it's not that. The goal is to become the best version of yourself. So if your personality is still there, if you're funny, you're probably going to get funnier. If you know you're so, – like it, all that is just going to get enhanced. It's just you have a clearer sense of who you are. So you have a clearer sense of navigating life and a clearer sense how not to react like an Yes, I agree with that. Although you may stop caring about some of the things you used to care about. But maybe that was getting in the way of you being the best version of yourself. Right. But if you if if you You're not clear enough yet to know that it's getting in the way. Or or you know like some people really are convinced that actually the thing that's going to make them happy is endless accumulation of dollars. I'm by the way, I'm a capitalist, so I'm not against wealth. Me neither. But but some people are con- convinced that that is the, the key to happiness. Yes. Or that, uh, you know, in order to get there, you have to be limitlessly cruel. But right. Which is, I mean, that just actually made my whole chest get tight. But but I always say also 
being spiritual or getting in touch with this stuff doesn't mean you're also giving up, like you were saying, giving up the ability to make money or have money. Sometimes that stuff ends up flowing better when you actually get in tune with who you are. You might just be doing it for the right reasons. So if you are someone who thinks, again, I also think we're all here for different reasons, and I'm sure this is past like where your beliefs are, but I do believe we're all here. So it depends what you're here and what you're supposed to be doing. So some people are here to be so really successful because it allows them to spread a message, a certain message, and they're they're kind of born to be rich and famous. And that's just going to happen. They could probably try and lose it 10 times over and they're going to just stumble back into it because that's like they're meant to have that power in order to do a greater good or something else with it. I think we're all here doing something. And I think the meditation kind of makes it clear what it is. It doesn't mean, oh, no, also now I'm going to be going to foreign countries and, like, saving the world and, like, helping kids. That doesn't, that's not necessarily your mission. Like, I think everyone assumes one's equated with the other. Your mission might be as simple as something like a relationship with your parent. It could be as simple as teaching. It could be maybe a company and being – it's a capitalistic venture, but that company is providing something bigger. Who knows? So I think people get too wrapped up in – and that was my whole point about wanting – when I had a specific vision for the center was – I don't want people to feel like you're entering this angelic world. I mean, I think if you meditate a lot and get in touch with yourself, you will feel more angelic, but it's not like you're walking into something, you're leaving your identity to become this perfect human being. You're becoming a perfect you, whatever that means. What are the biggest obstacles you see among your customers to embracing this habit? I think I think some people are also scared of getting to know themselves a little bit. I mean, it's a scary prospect for all of us. We're not all, you know, we all have ugly sides. And I think it's really tricky for people to embrace the sides of themselves that aren't great, even from little things to big. I also think, um, you know, people get knocked down. People come in a lot of times when things are wrong. You know, there's, and it's it's hard, but I, I mean, it's I love that we can be there for someone. But you know, deaths in the family, breakups, um, losing a job, identity shifts, like things that really rock your world. Like you actually don't know who you are in that moment anymore. Identity crises. I find a lot of people come in looking kind of for salvation in that regard. Um, so then I think what happens is it really helps them, and then they're feeling great. So I think the struggle is kind of to bring this conversation full circle becomes again people realizing how important it is for maintenance versus being the fix. So I think people start to feel really good again, and it really gets them something hard. And then they're like, okay, I'm good. Got it. Thanks. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, I actually think that sometimes falling off the wagon can be valuable in that you see, when you stop practicing, how you see how obnoxious your inner narrator becomes in those <laughs> times. And that can be very useful. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, like anything, you don't know what you have until you lose it. Right. So right. Absolutely. But you just hope you can get them back because for their own sake, because a lot of times it, it gets confusing. Again, it's a message. It gets confusing. People have to figure stuff out for themselves. So when you launched, there were all these pictures of you with, I guess, some actors that you <laughs> that you know from, I, from As your my old world. Yeah, yes. yeah. So are those folks, like, uh, it was like Anna Kendrick was in the pictures. Do you get, do you get a lot of celebrities because we of We do your... get some celebrities, actually. And we get and, and it's nice, actually, because I'm not always in the center anymore day to day. I do a lot of the business if I'm in there, I actually don't get as much work done. Um, so it's nice every once in a while when one pops up, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad they're visiting. Um, Anna, unfortunately, has been unbelievably busy. So that girl's like running all over the place and isn't anywhere long enough to do to go into an actual center. But um, but yeah, we do. Like Amanda, actually, who's in probably that same picture Amanda you referred to, Safe, safe, Reed, safe She comes all the time. Wow. So yeah. The people don't bother her. No, you know, that's that's kind of the beauty about that space. It would actually be weird since yeah. it is all about being like internal. And most of the time when you're in class, you're closing your eyes if, you know, you don't have to, but most people do. So it actually is a very respectful place that way. Um, when you were, I'm just curious, this has nothing to do with meditation, but I just, I, I'm always so interested in the, in the um, entertainment world. What were the shows you were overseeing at NBC? Oh my God. It's, it's funny. Someone was actually asking me this the other day and I forgot so much. I was like, oh my God, I'm so disconnected. I mean, it was still, it was the end of like the office days. It was like right before the office went out mm-hmm. there and we were struggling a little bit. It was a hard time. Um, and I'm trying to think of shows that even people know. It was like... I don't even – it's funny. I really had this conversation the other day. I was like, I cannot actually remember half the I did in entertainment. Isn't that weird? That's a lot of stuff to forget. It's a lot. Like I literally was like trying to name it the other day. I'm like, I am so disconnected. I can tell you like the writers I loved working with. I can tell you – you know what I mean? You don't it miss like, it? No, because that's not how I operate. I Everyone's like, so you're never going back. I'm like, oh, I never say never. I'm a creative human and I do love that world. 
right now in this moment. And since then, I've not missed it. That doesn't mean I'm not going to wake up one day and be like, oh, I'm having a hankering for doing a show. I also I still have friends who like send me material and like I help work on it like from behind the scenes here and there to like just exercise those muscles. Um, but I no, I've never that was never an issue for me. I never define myself by what I do, though. I never have. Like, to me, it's always in addition to who I am, like something fun that I'm doing in that moment. I think that's part of the reason I'm struggling with, like, answering some of those questions, which is especially in that job, I'm so glad I didn't define myself. I always went in and people were like, oh, my God, you have this and that. I'm like, oh, well, I'll be, I'm sure I'll be fired in, like, four years. <laughs> like, that's what happens. And I always said, like, you're renting this chair. Like, anyone who actually uses that power, it's sad because it's it's a rotating job. Um and we're just people. Like, we're all people just doing a job. Like, whether you're behind the scenes or in front of the scenes, whether you're the actress or the actor or the writer or the executive yelling at everybody, we're all just people doing jobs. And so I loved it. I'm still so close to all of my – my close friends are all in the business because that's where I was raised, you know? So all my close friends and family in Los Angeles are still in entertainment. So it's not like I don't hear about it or participate in it. I just – it just was never – even this, like I own a meditation studio, but I don't if, – if you met me on the street or if we were at a dinner party and just chatting, unless you asked me, I wouldn't lead with that. It's just not how I operate, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. Yeah, so that was really helpful with the job ending and changing. And now I'm like, oh, I just – it's – to me, I'm always wherever I am. So this is working right now. I'm loving doing it. and But I'm always open. I've always been open to seeing where everything takes me. What are the range of services you offer at The Den? Tons of services. So the basic one that we opened with that is the basic one are classes, guided classes, 45 minutes, 30 minutes. Classes guided, in guided what? Classes. Guided meditation. So different styles. So like we were saying earlier to repeat myself, whether it be a mindfulness class, whether it be a focus-based class, whether it be a Buddhism-based class. We also – we split it. We do a little woo-woo stuff for lack of a better term. You know, we do Reiki healing classes. We do actual healing classes. We do some Kundalini yoga. Actual healing? What does that mean? Like a class that's healing like through a satnam type of, you know, Kundalini breathing therapy. And that you can heal a disease? Yeah, they're teaching people how to like connect with their inner healer and how to like understand people's like energy fields. So have- that's why I'm saying some of some of our classes can go woo woo. Also, we we we're for everything. And my favorite thing about people walking in are like, no, that's not for me. And everyone always ends up trying everything, and you just watch and see how people are really surprised what resonates for them. But I, so I saw on the list sound baths. That, we do a ton of sound so baths. So sound baths is the type of thing I don't know anything about it. Oh my god, when you come and, to LA, and yet I've always made fun of them. So why am I wrong? I mean, well, what? How? Why are you making fun of them? I've, I've just because I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, you know, at the very basic, a sound bath really is a sound healing, which means, and there's so many different forms now. But whether it's like traditionally with like a crystal bowl, and the crystals themselves, if you believe in crystals, which I know you don't, I can tell, <laughs> have different healing properties. But even then, I think, as just a human who like sound in general, you know, when you hear a song you like, or if you're, and when you go to a live concert or if you go to the Philharmonic or something live, the feeling is different than when you're hearing it on the radio, correct? Or like on your CD player, because you can literally feel the vibrations. So starting from there, that's the same thing. You're in a room where someone's playing instruments that vibrate. I mean, it is pretty amazing too. If you have an incredible healer who can really play these bowls, you literally will feel the vibrations going through. So I would say at the very least, it's that, at that you feel vibrations if you believe in more and they're healing vibrations and you have a really great healer who will tell you this is for this and this is for that and you can get it. I also think it's a great time to just get into a deep meditation. So I tell people like you when they come in, they're like, I'm a skeptic. I say, at the very least, you'll lie down and you'll relax. That's at the very least. Like at the very least, if you can go deeper and you have the ability to go deeper, you could probably have a really trippy meditation. You might have a really big opening because it just helps push you further, I find. Um, and nowadays there's so many different styles. I mean, and it's interesting to see there's a lot of musicians who are just trying to like become sound healers and it's fascinating to see the different levels and different skill levels. And we have, uh, there's shamanic healers and then there's people who just love the vibrations and the sounds and the mixing of it. But no matter what, it is a pretty amazing experience. When you, you should the, give it a try at least. Yeah. I, I and then make fun should. of it afterwards. Yeah. Well, I, I reserve the right to do that. Mm-hmm. When you say, um, healer. Is that do we have to be careful about saying because you you don't want to be, say yeah hey you have breast cancer come on in here we'll heal you it's funny that you say that um, it's funny I was just ta- who was I talking to a few months ago about this about like what are the you know like any industry you get terminology and the healer is kind of the new one now some healers for lack of a better word 
hate using that word for that exact reason. It feels like it puts them in like God complex, like in a higher realm. Like, who am I? I'm not healing people. They have to heal. If they're truth healers, usually like people have to heal themselves. I can just aid in the process. Um, you can also use the word practitioner. I think do you have to be careful. Absolutely, like anyone coming in and wanting a quick, fi- a quick fix. We do get a lot of people struggling and are in chemo and come in, and it actually has been a great um, survival tool for people, really helpful in the process. Um, we have a lot, actually. That's actually been more common than I ever thought in opening the studio. Um, but no, we never are like, we're going to fix you. I mean, because we can't guarantee that. We can't do that. I think it's, again, we can help make you feel better, which hopefully in turn will help your healing process. There are, um, I would imagine, a lot of challenges to running a bi- any business. But any business. In this business, in terms of the meditation game, what are the biggest challenges? Is it finding good teachers? Is it getting enough customers? What are, what's the big, what are the big Well, the things? good news as meditation explodes, the teachers are more prevalent. So there's just more teachers. You got to make sure they're qualified. A thousand percent. Right. We actually just started our own teacher training program um, that we're in <laughs> round two that just started this weekend, actually. Um, and that's been really amazing for that reason, because it's like we really want people to understand the history of meditation, the lineages where when they're te- – because I, I say there's a modern-day meditation teacher now that's changed. Like the voice has changed a little bit. It's a little bit of amalgam. They're not all teaching necessarily just one lineage. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing as long as they're educated and understand where their voice comes from and why they've chosen to blend whatever it is that their voice is blending. Um, so it's a 400-hour certification. It's actually pretty intense. So, yes, finding certified people can be a struggle, but it's there are more and more of them now than when we first opened, for sure. People going through different programs in the UCLA program, which for us is, you know, because we're in Los Angeles. Um, also, look, on the customer service side, it's, it's, it's tricky, too, because you have to – sometimes you're really dealing with people in a tough time of their life. So you can be dealing with people when they're at a rocky place. And so mm-hmm. it's the reminder that – you're dealing with people's livelihoods too and their happiness and how to juggle that sometimes like and make sure we can be there as emotional support but also make sure the boundaries are in place. I, I would say that can actually be a bigger struggle than people realize because it's the one – it's a differentiating factor than most businesses. Yeah. Yes. I, I can only imagine. I mean I have a – an app business, but we, you know, I don't, I don't, we have coaches who talk to our customers, but, right, but you don't know them. I'm not doing right. it. Uh, but you are probably in some of these cases actually interfacing with folks. In the beginning, I was everything. I mean, I was the front, I was everything and I was completely interfacing and, and it's in some ways it's what I loved. I mean, it blends doing what I'm doing now really does blend like a lot of sides of me in the most perfect way. Um, and I love talking to people. I mean, I love it. I love hearing what people are going through, but it, it's a lot. Yeah, it's trying. It, and it's, it's, yes, and it can be trying and it can be hard. So that's been a big learning thing for me personally of having to also know how to separate and make sure so I can have the energy to keep, you know, growing the business so it can be provided for people. Because you do, people People don't realize that they put their stuff on you, not on purpose. No one does it on purpose, but it does happen. There, you familiar with the term Mick Mindfulness? You know about this? No, but that's funny. <laughs> so there's this. I mean, I get it. There's a school of people sp- traditionally from the sort of traditional Buddhist world who worry that mindfulness is now being commodified. Absolutely. Um, what What's your do you, response to that? Is, do you think capitalism and meditation? I mean, I've I think I'm cr- probably closer to your view on this, given that I sell books and have an app. Yep. Um, do you think there's any danger mixing capitalism and meditation? Look, I think it's how the world turns. I mean, it's it's the benefit and negative of trying to make something appeal to the masses. And I only think meditation appealing to the masses is better for everyone. And part of doing that is doing exactly what we're doing and making it easy for people to get to. And look, that's yoga. I mean, there's a yoga studio on every corner everywhere. And if you talk to like the purists, what, 15 years ago, I'm sure there was, or maybe more, yeah, 15, 20 years ago, I'm sure there's a bunch of people still reeling in the corner angry about what's happened to yoga. Um, but in the long run, is it better that there's all these people who are kind of practicing an inward practice that's actually making them slightly healthier and mentally healthier? I think so. So I think that's unfortunately just part of how you provide things to the masses. So it's it's the good and the bad. I get it. I'm a purist in some ways for many things. So I understand the feeling. I'm not a purist in this regard. So I understand that feeling. You get annoyed when people like discover it or, or like I get it. But in this regard, you want to be like, it's the better. It's the higher good. It's it's just better for everyone. Yeah. I mean, uh, my response is I actually think that make mindfulness folks make some good critiques personally. I mean, I'm sure. Spent, 
But um, my view at the end of the day is more mindfulness is better than less mindfulness. Uh, absolutely. You have a two-year-old what, boy or girl? Girl. What's your name? Levy. Levy. Yeah. Uh, cute name. Thank and, you. Uh, when and how will you teach her to meditate or will you? It's funny. It's funny. I've been actually thinking about it lately now that she's like, not that it's going to happen tomorrow, but we do little things. I will teach her eventually. Um, we're also in Los Angeles. It's in so many schools now. Yeah. Like it's part of like the program, which is really cute and great and helpful. Um, she, we already do things like everyone's all joke. I'll be like, Levy, deep breaths with mom. And she'll go, <gasps> and like to her, it's just like a joke. I but, can't get my, I have a three-year-old. I can't get him to take deep breaths like that. You know what it is? Like she's learning because we're in LA. So she's learning to swim. Uh, um, and I, I think honestly that helps her more than me uh, doing it because uh. like they take these deep breaths before they go underwater. If I'm going to really out myself, um, I would love to take credit for it. Um, but you know what I've started doing? I've realized, I didn't realize I was doing it until my husband kind of pointed out. I do things more like, identifying emotions and she's too young to like have a conversation understand it but she's a strong girl i mean she came out that way she was just strong and feisty and knows what she wants and like just loud and tough and so whenever she's like you know she's in the two-year-old phase whenever she starts like throwing the tantrum and you can tell or she's angry or i say no and she wanted it so then it's like screaming um i let her just kind of do it i let her have it and like somewhere in the middle like when she's taking a breath i'll look at her and be like are you frustrated? Are you sad? Whatever it is, are you sad? Are you frustrated? And it's funny. If I say like sad, she might ignore me. If I say angry, she might ignore me. And then if I'm like, are you frustrated? She'll be like, yeah. <laughs> so it's like this weird thing that even at two, like because I'm helping her identify it, she can say, and then I'll just say, yeah, being frustrated, it's it's a hard feeling, huh? Like I'll say something like that. Like that's tough, huh? And she'll just be like, yeah. And I don't tell her to stop. I don't tell her to correct it. I just, I'm happy she knows Well, this, just know that this is frustration. Like just know that this is something else. It's not everything. And um, I started doing stuff like that with her too. Like the other day she wanted to do something and I asked her again, I'm like, are you this? Are you this? Are you scared? She goes, yeah, Webby's well, scared. <laughs> and I was like, okay, it's good to know. It's good to know you're scared. Like, so in a weird way, I'm bringing it in that way. No, so, that's not weird. That sounds great. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm just trying to get her because I feel like as parents, everyone's so afraid now of, like, any kid having an emotion, which I think is so wrong. I mean, everyone, like, so coddling in every regard. They want to fix it. Like, they won't let them fall. They won't let them get hurt. It's And I'm just – I'm a strong believer in the opposite. Like, no, it's part of growing up. And, like, we get hurt. We fall down. We lose sometimes. Like, we're told no. That's life. I mean, I think we probably both wouldn't be where we were if being told no was, like – Break, would break us. I mean, if, you, if you're going to break every time someone says no, then like you're just screwed for the rest of your life. So I'm a firm believer in that. So I think I'd kind of bring it in that way. So it's more about like point of view, I think, and attitude now versus like, I think she's a little too young to sit quietly. Yes. I mean, I wish, but yes. come on. I know. I know. <laughs> um, you've been so much fun to talk to. Is there anything I should have asked you but that I didn't? I mean, no, whatever you want to know. I'm here. So no, I mean... <laughs> We'll save it for next time. <laughs> in terms of, uh, I always like to sort of open it up at the end to plugging. You know, where can we follow you on social media? Oh, great. Where can follow we follow us? Yes. Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. Den Meditation. That's D E N. Um, please follow us, and we do so much. So yeah, take a look at our website. Even if you're not in LA, I mean, like What's I said, denmeditation.com. Um, if you, we literally do like eight retreats a year that are all over the world mm. and the country. So you can join us in that regard. Like we do a lot of online stuff. We're actually starting our own podcasts. So, I mean, just follow us for all this information because we are bigger than just two studios in Los Angeles. Like it is important for us to kind of reach everyone because like you and I have been talking about, it's just, it's good for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for coming. No, this was a really pleasure. Thank it. you. Fun to meet you. You too. Awesome. Best of luck. Thanks. Okay, that does it for another edition of the 10% Happier Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to subscribe, rate us. Also, if you want to suggest topics you think we should cover or guests that we should bring in, hit me up on Twitter, at Dan B. Harris. Importantly, I want to thank uh, the people who produce this podcast, Lauren Efron, Josh Cohan, and the rest of the folks here at ABC who helped make this thing possible. We have tons of other podcasts. You can check them out at abcnewspodcasts.com. I'll talk to you next Wednesday. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. You know how to book flights and hotels. 
All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.